Listener warning. This episode addresses child sexual exploitation and discusses teen suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, and welcome to What's Best for Kids, the podcast that digs deep into what educators wish parents knew about education and what parents wish educators knew about parenting. I'm your host, Rob Copo. I'm the parent of two kids who went to public school, and I've been in public education for more than 25 years as a teacher, coach, and administrator. I'm currently the principal of Torrey Pines High School in San Diego, California, and every day I ask myself, what's best for kids? On today's show, we're going to talk about cell phones, sharing personal information, and the dangers kids face in a digital world. With me today are Detective Steve Dickinson and Sergeant Garrick Nugent of the San Diego Police Department. Officers, welcome to the podcast. Uh, today's topic is a scary one for a lot of parents, but before we jump into it, why don't you both give us a little background about your uh, your path to being here today, what you do for a living, and kind of uh, what brought you here today. All right. Uh, my name is Steve Dickinson. I'm a detective with the San Diego Police Department, and I am currently assigned on a task force that's called ICAC, stands for Internet Crimes Against Children. Um we're, a, again, a task force that's multi-agency, meaning we're comprised of all of the local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies. Um, and I'll, I'll let Derek here explain a little bit more about how we're broken up to, or how we're broken up. But uh, I've been on the department for 32, going on 33 years. Um, been at ICAC for the last, well, since 2009. Uh, before that, I was in child abuse. Uh, so it's kind of a natural nexus to go this way. But uh, and for that, I was general investigations and then patrol for the 17 years before that. Gotcha. Thanks. Yeah. And, and Garrett? Thanks for having us. My name is Garrett Nugent. I'm a detective sergeant with the San Diego Police Department. I am currently the commander of the San Diego Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. Uh, so I oversee the task force Steve was speaking about. We are one of 61 national task forces. We are one of five that are here in California. And the San Diego Internet Crimes Against Task Force is uh, encompassed by not only San Diego County, but Imperial County and Riverside County. So in total, I think right now we have approximately 130 or so members of the task force and about 35 different agencies. And as a whole, we are tasked with combating the online enticement and exploitation of children. I've been with San Diego Police Department for going on 27 years now. Uh, my background is in investigations just like Steve. Uh, where he went the child abuse path, I was a sexual assault investigator for several years uh, and have been now with the task force for about two and a half going on three years. Well, given your experience in law enforcement, we could probably be here all day and night talking about the stories, but we'll try to keep all this right. a little <laughs> focused on. No, I, uh, I just want to add one thing. He said we're one of five in the state. He covers from Riverside to the border wow. from the ocean to the Arizona border. Wow. That's That's our or his responsibility. So it's a big area. Heck yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So we've talked uh, several times actually on this podcast about the, the dangers of phones and we've sort of focused more on the social emotional aspect of it. And uh, today we're going to dig a little deeper into kind of the darker territory of, of cell phones and uh, talk more about the potential legal implications and that, uh, that sort of thing. So the lasting effect of, you know, what I would call oversharing. Uh, we had some of that just this week, as a matter of fact, here at Tory. Um, you've given an overview of the background, but let's talk about more, uh, a little bit more about what you do day to day in, in these units. So uh, kind of give the parents an idea of 
really what you're seeing and, and again, part of why you're here today? Well, uh, the task force in general, we, like I said before, we're, we're challenged with the, uh, the investigation, excuse me, the investigation of online enticement and exploitation of kids. Most of those reports come from our electronic service providers, uh, companies such as Google or Yahoo, Instagram, Facebook. And when they become aware of inappropriate or illicit material that's on their platform, they report to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And they are the, uh, the Congress designated uh, clearinghouse of said information. The information that's provided to NECMEC, which is the acronym we use, uh, is then uh, researched and based on the geography as to where those uh, reports come from, they are sent to the task force that's related to that geographical area. Uh, that's where most of our work comes from, but we also receive police reports from concerned citizens, from concerned parents, and we work hand in hand with the Child Welfare Services Office. So if we get reports from them, we investigate those as well. And that's where the bulk of our work comes from. So uh, there's a number of... Uh, I guess, agencies, organizations going uh, directly to you and that task force to look into it on a daily basis. How many of those requests are you getting roughly a day? A day? Um, it's kind of hard to say by a day. We get right. them. Well, actually, we just recently changed our, our procedure, but we, I say a month total, we can get between 200 and in the real bad times of COVID, as much as 500 a month. I'm sorry, more than that, up to a thousand a month. A thousand a month. Um, wow, we were okay. getting 11, 1100 at one point um, at the, the worst part of COVID. But uh, generally, I think most months are probably between two to 400. Yeah, we've seen a, a huge spike in cases. Yeah. Uh, in 2019, we had about 2,500 cases come through the office. Uh, pandemic hit, and unfortunately, kids that did not have access to the internet were provided access for online learning and online socialization. Uh, and that created a big problem because we had kids uh, that increased our potential victim pool and our online predators knew that. So our numbers went from 2,500 in 2019 to last year, we had over 8,700 cases. And this year we're looking at eclipsing 9,000. Wow. So Steve, uh, we have a connection through the school is how we got uh, connected for this podcast. But, um, and you approached me about this topic. So I wanted you to talk a little bit more about what really motivated you to want to talk about this. A lot of it was the spike that Garrick just mentioned. To give you a, a little background, up until about COVID, sextortion, which we, we think of, what we used to think of sextortion, um, traditional sextortion was a primarily a, a female teen being targeted by a predator. And then after COVID, that kind of changed. And it went into what we're now referring to as financial sextortion. And at one point, the girls were targeted. They were, I would say, I think the, the national average was like 79% of victims were girls between the ages of 14 to 17. This switch, which is now targeting primarily boys between the ages of I say the primary age is probably 11 to 15, but it goes down. I mean, we have them, what, we have them in elementary school, you know, third and fourth graders now. So what's a third grader, eight years old. So we are down as early as probably as eight up until 17, but you know, somewhere in the middle there is where we're seeing most of the kids. And with that, the, the sexual sextortion, I'm sorry, the financial sextortion, it became a whole different ball game, what the predators were doing. They're primarily now befriending somebody on like a gaming app that is open to hundreds of people. 
and they'll target you and they'll try to get you, you know, we'll go, hey, Rob, this is Steve on whatever gaming app we're on. And we'll just get a real quick conversation. Hey, can you go over to Snapchat with me? And they, they're going somewhere where it's a one-on-one, not in a private room. Right. And once they're in Snapchat, then we'll start a conversation. The conversation moves very quickly to being sexual in nature. Um, hey, what's your what's your snap? And then when we get over there, as soon as we get there, hey, what's, where do you live? Uh, what grade are you in? Um, and oh, let me back up a little bit. The predator will pretend to be a girl, usually a little bit younger than what this person is, and might even send a picture of a girl. Sometimes. A little bit younger than the target, you mean? Correct. Okay. And he'll send a picture. Hey, send me a picture of you back. That's kind of does two things. One's it it gets the emoji of the kid if he sends his his uh, his moniker or whatever his face or his Snapchat moniker is. Mm-hmm. You know, so they get that. That's key because once he gets that, now he has all of your information on your Snapchat. He knows who your friends are. And that's key to where he's going to go with this. So he'll get that, and then you know, with the boys, there is a grooming. It might take a week, two weeks before he'll ask for these pictures with, I'm sorry, with the girls, with the boys, it, it can be within, you know, three, four minutes. Hey, send me a picture. You know, I want to see your face. Okay. Hey, can you send me a picture of your penis? And they do, they feel, you know, okay, this is a girl. She sent me a picture. She's cute. She's makes me feel like, you know, special in my self-esteem and they'll send that picture back. And once they get that picture, then the tone changes. It's like, okay, Hey, if you don't send me $500, I'm going to post that picture to all of the friends that I just copied on your Snapchat account. So to answer your question, where did I, a lot of kids have been taking their lives because of this. Um, in fact, Eric's going to tell you a story about what really, when he told me the story, I think I contacted you the following Friday. Yeah. Um, and that just, I don't know, I, I felt like we weren't doing enough. We're not reaching the kids. Uh, we give presentations at schools. We'll talk to grade school, elementary school, or elementary school, high school students. But I just feel like we're missing something. We're not really connecting with the kids. They go in there. They're a captive audience, whether they want to be there or not. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't, we're not getting the message across. So trying to think outside the box, what can we do? And that's what I, you know, I thought with, talk to you to see if, you had some ideas on how we can do this, but just the fact that these kids are taking their lives and really we have no idea how to, how to fix this problem. So I just kind of, I don't know, that just didn't sit well with me. Yeah. So I'm yeah. here I am. Yeah. Well, a caring professional who's, you know, seeing the victimization of, of children right. on a regular basis, it's hard to sit back and say, well, I guess we'll just keep trying to bust them. You've got a, uh, it, it's that, for it's that whole interdiction intervention thing, right, you right. know, like do uh, do we just keep trying to arrest people, or do we tr- get people to stop engaging yeah. on this level? You're absolutely right, Rob, and, and that's part of the issue that we're having. It's not a an issue that we can arrest our way out of. Right. Um, we have found that oftentimes there's an international nexus to a lot of these cases. Mm-hmm. So our uh, the long of long arm of the law only reaches so far, and as a result, we've become growingly frustrated with our inability to curb some of this and feel that putting out the information, trying to educate and promote uh, a more thoughtful use of cellular devices or electronic devices as a whole is probably the best way to do this. Have you, I'm, I'm curious now, because obviously Snapchat is one of the things we have the biggest problem with here on campus. 
And uh, we, again, had an issue just this week that you know took probably two full days and four administrators to unravel uh, where we could have been doing other things during finals week, for example. So is Snapchat primarily where you're seeing it with that app or are there? It's one of the top two. Okay. Uh, the top two apps that we're seeing that uh, perpetrators of this crime are using are Instagram okay. and Snapchat. They are, as Steve said, reaching out to primarily young boys between the ages of 11 to 17. They portray themselves to be young women, usually very attractive. Uh, they have fake accounts, and they will blindly befriend somebody, again, young boys. And once that young man accepts that friendship, the extortion is on. Uh, it tends to be very quick, tends to be very graphic, vulgar, mm -hmm. um, down and dirty. But once they get that individual to send them a picture, they've got their claws in them. And that's when the immediate request or demand, I should say, for money begins. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Snapchat is one of our problem childs, as is Instagram. And I think it's just because they are so readily used yeah. by the high school population or middle school populations. It's an easy target. And very photo based. And there's that, you know, um, absurd notion that Snapchat is somehow temporary, which we all know it is not. Correct. Um, and Steve, you had mentioned it before too, that it primarily years ago, you see this with uh, um, females and now you're seeing primarily, primarily male um, victims. Do you think that's because the, you know, a, a teenage boy is generally more susceptible and, and uh, not as defensive anymore as, as teenage girls might've been? I'm kind Absolutely. Of curious from yeah. your experience. And Gary, if I'm, if I get off on this kind of, just cause he knows the subject this particular matter here a little bit better. This problem that we're seeing right now, it's global. Yeah. Um, you know, you can talk to any one of the ICAC commanders and they're gonna tell you they all have the same problem. HSI, Homeland Security, um, and they, they're a real close part. They're probably the, the big players in this uh, sextortion or this- uh, um, Investigation in, of yeah, sextortion yeah. cases. Yeah. They're, they're the big boys. So. One of the things that they've learned is that a lot of this extortion is coming from the Ivory Coast and Nigeria. Hmm. So most of the contact is made through somebody that's there, and then they'll make contact with the kid here. It's kind of like, remember, eight months ago, we got the phone calls about your car warranty is up. You know, call yeah. us, and okay, then they get you in some kind of scam. It almost feels like, okay, they, they got figured out on that one, so they changed gears, and now they're doing this, because that's exactly what's happening. All these... All of these kids are getting contacted by somebody. You know, it's funny. I'm going to change gears here for a second. A lot of this is happening on, starts at, on Discord, which is also a gaming app. Right. And I know the schools encourage kids to get on Discord because a lot of homework in that is given on Discord. I tell people, get your kids off Discord, but the schools say get on Discord. So it's kind of a, I, I don't know how to, to fix that problem. But, you know, where it's the schools are telling them to do one thing and kind of law enforcement is encouraging them to do something else. But now to get back on track. So these these people over in Nigeria, the Ivory Coast, they're making the contact with the kids. And then once once um, they have the kids, you know, they have their claws in the kid, then they pass it off to a mule that's stateside. And if, actually, if you want to tell that story now, this is probably. Yeah, uh, Steve mentioned earlier that there was a, a young man, his name is Ryan Last, and I can use that publicly because his mother talks openly about his situation. He was a 17-year-old uh, high school student living up in the San Jose area. Uh, from anybody you speak to, he was the epitome of the perfect kid. 
He was a Boy Scout, uh, very, uh, very involved in school, uh, outgoing, loved, cared for by all, uh, raised in a, a traditional household in, in the fact that mom and dad were still at home, had a brother, uh, you know, from the, from the surface, everything was perfect. At the age of 17 years old, he was contacted by an individual that portrayed themselves to be an attractive young woman online. And he unfortunately made the choice to send a photograph of his genitalia to that person. Immediately, that person started asking for large sums of money. Um, at the time, being 17 years old, he was unemployed. He didn't have the type of financial funds that they were requesting, though his parents had just opened up a, a, a banking account. And I can't remember which application they used. I don't know if it was Zelle or Venmo, but they had given him a, a little bit of money. I think it was a couple hundred dollars because he was preparing to go away to college. Uh, and this is money that he was going to use for whatever he needed. Well, um, he finally was able to talk these individuals down to an acceptable sum of money, acceptable being what he had, right. and he paid it. And immediately after paying it, they asked for more. And they continued asking for more, continued asking for more. And uh, he became so distraught and so embarrassed and so shamed that he ended up taking his own life. Uh, at 17 years old, he felt that he had shamed not only himself, but his family. He had sold his family name and felt that the only way out was to end his own life. His parents were downstairs at the time. Uh, they had no idea this was going on. He didn't communicate to anyone what had happened uh, out of fear. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. And it's not to say that his parents were at fault or, or anything to that effect, because from everything I know, they had a very open relationship. Uh, this was a mistake. Uh, and it's a mistake that kids, adults make on a daily basis. And while we all make mistakes, it's something that can be rectified. But unfortunately, he uh, he, he felt that there was nothing that he could do. Um, How long was the, the the process of this? Hours. It, it was within, so within the hours. same day. Yeah. Within hours from oh the, the first time he was contacted by this individual, he had ended his life. Uh, our affiliate up in San Jose, the San Jose, San Jose ICAC team, got involved. They began investigating what had taken place. And they were able to trace the initial IP address, you know, the identifier from the, the internet connection, back to Nigeria. And at that point, we felt that we were, you know, dead in the water. Not a whole lot we can do with uh, individuals that are playing from abroad. They continued, thankfully, and they looked at the chats. And they noticed that once the chat had moved to the demand for money, the verbiage, the language was different. The tone was different. And the, de the detective took it upon himself to then look for another IP address at that point. And lo and behold, they found one. They found that that IP address was actually coming back to an area in Los Angeles. Uh, lots of investigative work took place, and they were able to identify an individual that was Nigerian in ethnicity. I don't know if they were a Nigerian national, but they had ties to Nigeria. And they learned that he was actually the money mule. So the individual in Nigeria reached out and made the initial contact. And once they had the hooks in the child and had that photograph, they passed that child off to this other individual stateside because it's easier to get the money. Uh, this person took over the chat, demanded the money, and uh, what they would do is funnel that money back to Nigeria. Uh, because they were able to identify that individual, I'm, I'm happy to say that they actually made an arrest on that person just two days ago. Uh, it was a 25-year-old. Nigerian man up in the Los Angeles area. So uh, 
we're working them. Uh, it's it's not foolproof. This is, I think, unfortunately, the exception. And uh, I, I hope that in the future we're able to continue finding these individuals. Uh, but ultimately, this is a much larger problem, uh, almost a uh, an organized crime type of a, a situation where you've got individuals, organizations of individuals abroad that are perpetrating these crimes and then using these individuals here within the states just to facilitate a very small part of that program. So yeah, I would think that, that would be the only word to use for it is organized crime. It's international organized crime. And I, I you know, excuse my ignorance on this, but I'm going to assume that the, the local mule, as you're calling them, is working with local banks because that's going to keep it cleaner than going through international money transfers, I would assume. You know, surprisingly, many of them don't use banks. They're mm, using okay. banking applications. Okay, well, that, yeah, that's what I meant. All right. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. Okay. And, but the, with, now I'm all fascinated. Uh, like, is <laughs> if you're using a, a banking app, would it matter where you are? I'm kind of curious why they've got the person here in the States necessarily. There's got to be some way that that's helping them. I believe that the way it was explained to me, and I may be speaking out of turn, mm -hmm. is that they were, they were receiving the monies from the minor victims via whatever banking applications are using, and then taking those funds and using programs like Western Union to send the monies abroad. Um, there is less of a uh, an ability to trace yeah, and track okay. that money. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So it also happens on a much smaller scale just because the, the, the amounts aren't there, but they'll use Amazon gift cards. Mm. You know, go buy me 10 Amazon gift cards for $100 a piece. Um, and then, you know, those are, just scratch the number, give me the number, and it doesn't matter where you are, you can use that anywhere. Right. Right. And people can develop false email addresses and open up Amazon accounts under those false email addresses, utilize that money, and then cancel the account. And I, I, is there, are there any telltale signs within these chats, the, the, um, the, um, the Snapchat profiles, anything that, you know, somebody can look for that might tip them off. You talk about the language changing a little bit, but by the time the language changes, it sounds like it's too late. Uh, is, there, is there anything in your research and your experience that sort of jumped out and say, hey, here's a couple of things to look for other than, hey, maybe don't do this uh, in the first place. But. If, if I were a 15-year-old boy or if somebody were to, t if I were to tell a 15-year-old boy to, what to be suspicious of, the first thing would be if they tell you to change platforms to a secret platform. That, you know, we can talk we don't know each other. We could talk and open and nobody's going to know who we are. If you, why do you want to take me to a secret platform? That, that would be the first thing I would say that is suspicious. And then if you've known somebody and within, you know, five minutes, they're asking for nude pictures, don't do it, but we can't get that across. Yeah. We say this tongue in cheek, but unfortunately teenage boys, as you well know, have a different way of thinking. Yes. And where you and I would be suspicious of a an attractive person reaching out and befriending us out of the blue and then suddenly sparking up a conversation and wanting personal information and personal photographs, well, we would be suspicious. Teenage boys don't see it that way. They see it as a sign of attention. It's an esteem builder. They're interested. There may be a chance. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they make, unfortunately, poor decisions. And uh, I'm speculating here. I don't have any data to back this up, but uh, what you were talking about earlier, Steve, with the, the data change from uh, girls to boys, I would also venture to guess that uh, in terms of the socialization, I mean, I, I know I'm generally more protective of my daughter mm -hmm. than I am my son. And I've, you know, I've 
taught her how to use the base of her, you know, her palm in somebody's nose and never taught my son that. Right. Um, and I would venture to guess we're just not talking to our boys about this topic because we assume it's going to be girls. So parents aren't really engaging on this kids playing video games. Yeah, he does that a lot. What are you going to do? And we're not uh, talking to them about what to look for that they may might be susceptible. So there, there could be a socialization piece here. There absolutely is. I, I think parents aren't accepting or taking responsibility for what their kids are doing at home. A lot of this stuff happens after hours, you know, after homework, kids sit in the room at night, they're on their phones at night, away from the parents. Parents don't know what their kids are doing on their phones. They don't have their kids' passwords. They don't know what apps are on their kids' phones. They're not asking to see their kids' phones. Um, it's easy to say it's not my child, but there's, you know, 262,000, that's a number from NECMEC, there's 262,000 parents that said that that were wrong. A lot of kids are doing this, and parents really need to, to think about, you know, could this be my child? Just because, you know, we, we're upper class doesn't exclude us from that group of kids that are doing this. You know, we see it everywhere. I'd like to touch on something real quick, Rob, is that we've really been focusing on male victims or mm -hmm. male minor victims. And, you know, we've tied it now to an international nexus. I want to stress that's not to say this isn't happening domestically. Uh, we've had a case in the office not too recently where uh, a couple of students from a local school district were sextorted. And one of my detectives in the task force was able to trace that back to a young man that lived in Los Angeles. And he had multiple victims uh, where he was, uh, again, getting images from these young girls and then threatening to expose their images on social media for more images. Uh, he was extremely vulgar. Uh, he was extremely threatening and uh, went so far as to actually threaten a parent. When a parent contacted him and told him to cease and desist, he, he took it upon himself to threaten the parent by sending out these child's photographs. Um, so it, while there is a nexus to international crime, it, it is something that's occurring here at home. Uh, and while Steve does bring up a good point, the financial sextortion, as we're now calling it, tends to lean towards boys. I think the last stat I saw was something to the effect of 93% of those cases are male victims. Uh, the female victims still exist. And we need to not only talk to our girls and, and how to protect themselves, we need to talk to, to both our, our, our girls and our boys not to protect themselves not only physically out in the real world but online as well you had asked earlier what types of signs kids should look for with the financial sextortion what we're seeing recently is that the, the conversation the chat happens very quickly it goes from a friend a befriending to immediately asking for photographs that should be a red flag uh red or photographs of genitalia uh, nude photographs one thing that is usually unique is they will ask for not only a photograph of somebody's genitalia, they want their face in the picture. And they do that so they have a grasp on you. They can put your photograph out in front of social media or at least threaten to do so. So that should be a red flag. Um, again, it's just, while as adults, we look at it as common sense. As a kid, it's another friend. And unfortunately, the socialization that our children experience through social media nowadays uh, there is a, a fine line or a graying of that line between what is a true friend and what's an online friend. If you can imagine it, they're doing it. We see these videos daily. You know, part of the, the, the cyber tips that we get in from NECMEC, you know, that's Yahoo found these and they're sending them to us. 
It's not, you know, occasionally, it's every single day that we're getting these. And it's, it's terrifying because it's not only the imagery. The imagery itself is disturbing. And it's unfortunately, it's learned behavior. Yeah. Uh, they're seeing these videos. They're seeing these images online. And with utilizing these gaming platforms, they are quickly enticed to sell them for tokens to continue playing Minecraft, uh, to continue playing any of these games. And they're rewarded. Um, beyond that, we have children below the age of 10 that are engaged in sexual chat with adults. And when you would read these chats, you would think that these chats are coming from 30-year-old people. Uh, the terminology they're using, uh, the language they're using, it, it is, it's terrifying. And unfortunately, it is learned. So again, I go back to the, the statement, that unless you're willing to sit down and have a frank conversation about sex and sexual behavior with your child, they're not ready to have a cell phone. I know it's not the cool thing, Rob, right, but right, uh, right. Uh, smartphone is, as you said, it's a very useful tool, but there are cell phones that are manufactured out there that provide parents and children a means of communicating. They make phone calls, they can text, but it doesn't give them access to the internet. Is that foolproof? No, I, I understand that. But at least there is another level of security there. So that, you know, if a parent needs to get in touch with their kid because they've got practice or their practice is running late or, or right. what have you, they have that means to communicate. But at least they're, they're protecting them until they are of age where we can sit down and have a, a conversation, what I would consider to be an adult conversation about sex. And at that point, maybe the Internet is the appropriate place to, uh, to allow them to, to venture off into. I, I appreciate you sharing that because I thought it was a it was a great way to understand it because I don't think there's a parent out there who's comfortable having that conversation about sex with their with their kids. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I remember having that uh, conversation with mine and they're they're 22 and 19 now. And when we go to a movie and there's a sex scene, I'm still uncomfortable. These <laughs> yeah, are full grown right. adults yeah. and I'm uncomfortable. And yet again, we hand them this tool. We think we're locking it down. We're putting parental controls on. We're doing all these things that feel like the right thing to do. But I agree with you, Derek, that the conversation is the most important piece. Talking to the kid about it, I've, I've had many conversations and uh, let's call them debates with parents about going through your kid's phone all the time. And they said, well, it's their phone. No, it's not. You're paying for it. It's your phone and you're still the parent. When they're adults and they're out of the house, fine, they can, that, that's on them. But for now, you got to grab that thing. What are the apps? Go through it. Um, have them show you. Um, doesn't mean they can't still hide stuff, but you're more likely to find the accident that way. Right. Um, if you're doing that on a regular basis. I mean, even going back to the old days, I mean, we're all, as we all said, all old guys. Um, <laughs> when a friend was over at the house, the door to your bedroom was always open. Yeah. You couldn't, but they can be in with a thousand friends on their phone with the door closed exactly. for hours at a time. Right. And we, we somehow we've got to switch that thinking on that. Um, or, you know, taking the devices at night, they, you know, they charge them in your bedroom at night, things like that. Are, are there, I mean, as long as we're on this topic, the, uh, you know, are there other strategies that you guys in your experience uh, would suggest to parents to consider? I'm glad you said that. Cause I was going to say that. There's no reason to charge the kid's phone in his room. You can charge the phone in your room at night, the adult's room. Yeah. Um, another thing you said, have them show you your app. I think as a parent, you need to understand the app as well as them. Yeah. Because I can show you apps right now. I can show you what I want you to know. Right. Um, and you don't know what you don't know. So the parent really needs to understand the app, at least 
make themselves an app and go through it so that you know if they're not showing you something, then you know then they need to dig deeper. Also, if you look at their app and they've got five friends, well, that means they have another app, another the same application with another username. Yeah. They're going to log out of the one that I show my mom and into the one that I have with my friends. Nobody looks at iPhones more than us. I, I, I have an iPhone a day, a different iPhone, and I'm going through all these apps. And I still learn something every single day that the iPhone does that I didn't know. There's so many things on that thing. Um, and for some reason, kids just, they pick it up in a day. I've been at this unit 13, well, since way back when, and I still don't know everything. Yeah. You know, they, it's kind of funny. We were talking about who can train us. We were talking about bringing high school kids in to teach us the apps just because they know them so well. So if you're a parent, if you don't know the app as well as your child or better than just the lay app or the lay parent that looks at it when they load it. As Steve said, there are different apps that are, that are coming out every day and we can't keep up. So as a parent, it's extremely difficult to understand what's going on in your children's life. Uh, I've got two boys and while I love them both dearly, typically what I would get when they came home from school is, how was your day? Fine. Right. And, uh, and then they're buried in their phone. And it wasn't until... I would go through their phone and I'd learn things, uh, sometimes positive, sometimes negative, but it would spark the conversation. As a parent, we have to be involved. You cannot stop being involved. And once you do, uh, you allude to the fact that we're allowing strangers into our homes. Mm -hmm. And that's where these kids are communicating with. We, they have strangers in their bedrooms and strangers in their bathrooms. And we wouldn't allow that person to walk in our front door. So why are we allowing them to converse with our children on these phones? Yeah. And, and like we said, literally thousands of followers are in the bathroom with them yes. as you're saying and uh many like in the the case we had recently uh we were asking the question because it was a very similar situation for lack of a better term a, a more of a catfishing situation and like so what you know started the initial engagement mm -hmm. like why would you bring in this person you have no idea who they are and it's like oh fine follow me on snapchat no big deal why wouldn't that be a big deal like, again, what what is it about there being no red flag there that someone you don't know, have never heard of, all of a sudden wants to engage with you on something? It's it's a it's a strange switch that I, I can't figure out why it doesn't get flipped. You know, I wish I could answer that. I can say that for our younger children that we deal with, a lot of that comes from the gaming communities mm -hmm. where they're playing a game and they're conversing and chatting with people within the game. And as a result, they have a friendship. And while to you and I, that friendship is very surface and it's part of that game, it's a positive experience. It's a, it's a positive interaction. So when that other individual says, hey, let's converse outside of the game, well, why wouldn't I? It's a friendly person. They're a nice person. We've been playing this game for weeks and he seems like a nice person. Why wouldn't I go to Discord? Why wouldn't I go to Snapchat and continue talking to this person? And uh, that's where the grooming comes in. Uh, but there's a a lack of delineation between real world friends and these online quote unquote friends that you truly don't know who the heck you're talking to. I can't believe in all my time, like uh, thinking about this and being an administrator, I hadn't made that. You're exactly right, Garrick, that connection between uh, the gaming systems. Cause we're, uh, I, you know, my kids still make fun of me cause I, I play video <laughs> games on a, on a rare occasion, but I still play against the computer. Mm -hmm. Like I don't do, I don't do, uh, because usually it's a sports game or something like that, like, you know, but, you know, FIFA, you can't even play just against the computer anymore. Yep. My son makes fun of me and all that. But like, you're right. They are designed to play against somebody from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So you've already opened this door to yourself yes. mentally. And now, OK, well, there's a switch I was, I was trying to find. 
Uh, thank you for sharing that. I think that's incredibly valuable to think about that, that that's a conversation that also isn't happening. Like, who are you playing this game with? Mm -hmm. And I've passed it off multiple times. Oh, you're playing with someone in Sweden. Okay. Is he any good? You know, that's, yeah. that's the extent of my conversation yep. with my son about it. That's crazy. If you ask these young, more of the, the younger kids, the, the seven, eight, nine year olds, who are you talking to? Or the parents ask a friend and the parents say, oh, okay. This is one of your friends. To me, a friend is somebody that I go to school with. To them is somebody I've been playing the game with for a right. week. So, you know, we need to to bridge that gap and make sure we're both, the child and I, talking the same language. Because nine times out of ten, we're not. Yeah, that's a great point. So, Steve, you had mentioned earlier about uh, when we were talking about what really motivated what uh, made you guys want to be on the podcast today is that find some other resources because uh, to spread the word. Because as we know, assemblies at a school like Torrey Pines, 2,600 kids, I can only fit 2,000 of them in the gym. Right. Um, and don't tell the fire marshal that because that's above <laughs> code. But I think it's only 1,400 uh, legally. But And when they're in there, they're on their phones, <laughs> ironically, and can't get their attention. So um, in, in your opinion, um, what, do you, what else do you think? We've talked a lot about what parents need to do. What else do you think the schools could do on this uh, uh, on this particular topic, because obviously this is a this is a heavy, dark, as you said earlier, Garrick, and I think the word is absolutely right, terrifying topic to talk about. But if we don't, those numbers you shared earlier are only going to go up. So is there is there are there other things you think the school could do to be a little more proactive? You know, I, I don't know. And that's really why I came to you, because I yeah. wanted to ask you that question. You know, the last thing we want to do is go in there and scare kids. We're, we're not here to scare them, but it's a scary subject. And if we don't scare you, then we're not going to get our point across and the whole thing is moved. Right. Sometimes I think I, I because we have a, a, a lady in our office that will come out and do presentations. Sweetest, sweetest lady you can be. Really soft-spoken, nice. And she'll go in there and she'll talk to them. For some of these things, like with the boys, I almost think it need, you need to go in there with a whole different attitude and need to talk a lot more frank and a lot more stern to these kids. I I, I don't know what the answer is, but okay. sometimes yeah. I think that's what needs to happen. Is it appropriate? I don't know. You know, we're we're looking for that answer right now, and I don't have it. Yeah, there's a conundrum, like you said. Uh, you're talking about seven, ten-year-olds engaged in sexual activity and recording it, and uh, that's not something that your normal elementary teacher is going to be comfortable having a conversation right. about, nor is a part of the curriculum. You know, nor uh, so there's all the and. So we're going to trust that a parent's going to talk about it, but they don't know about it. Like it, it's. Uh, no, I think wow. this is a great first step. Yeah. Talking about it, getting it out there, but having the ongoing conversations, talking about the events that trans uh, that take place in the news. Um, you know, we, we had this situation just last month up in Riverside where uh, a mother and two grandparents were killed by an individual that traveled across the United States of America to pick up a teenager that they developed an online relationship. Uh, and that started out of simple text communication on an online gaming platform. Uh, and that's an extreme case. Yeah. But that extreme case is something we need to discuss because it's it's real, it's happening. We've had a, uh, in our office, just uh, within the last year and a half, we had a, I think she was 12 years old, that had an adult male fly down from Oregon pick her up and was driving her home so that they could have a nice, happy relationship together. Uh, and it wasn't until they got halfway there that the 12-year-old thought she was in any danger. These types of cases, they need to be discussed not only at home, perhaps here in school. Where? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. 
Um, I don't know if it's a, this is how old I am, a social studies issue or mm -hmm. a, you know, or, or what have you, but it, it's something that we need to continually talk about. Um, you know, we talk about the kids being extorted. Yes, it's a huge problem. It's a, it's a ginormous problem. Um, but ultimately our fear is you have kids that develop these online relationships with individuals they don't know who they're communicating with and they are true pedophiles. They're true bad, bad guys. Yeah. And they do true harm, hands-on abuse to these children. And that's yeah. our fear. Both, as you're saying, both physical and mental. Um, you know, I was thinking a lot about this. Like we have some of the ab absurdity when I look at phones and, and the lack of control. And I'm not saying we can regulate our way out of, out of things, but we have large warning labels on cigarettes. We have um, a nutritional information on soda bottles for a reason, because we have the data that says it is damaging. And yet here's your cell phone and there's not a warning. There's nothing that, you know, here are some of the potential dangers for teenagers. You know, we have, you, you can't go to an R rated movie without a parent if you're 17, but your seven year old can have a smartphone and access to everything. Like there's again, that, and watch that, that same R rated movie on the phone. Right. So we, we have these regulations in one area and zero on the other area. And I, I, as I talked about in a previous podcast, you've got some of the greatest thinkers, artists, engineers, designers working on phones to keep you engaged all the time. Mm -hmm. That is their job. And they're very, very good at it. And no filter in between. We're just handing it to who, whoever's got a, a, you know, the, the, the money to buy them. And I, I wonder when we're going to get to that point that there's going to be some other layer of we've proven that these are uh, dangerous. Mm -hmm. So now are we going to regulate them a little bit more uh, for children? And uh, I, as you said earlier, Steve, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm glad we're having the conversation about it. Because if we don't talk about it and expose the numbers and, and the stories you guys are sharing, we're going to continue to go in blissful ignorance and more kids are going to be in danger. Well, there's a big push, especially within the law enforcement community to hold electronic service providers more responsible for what's on their platform. Yeah. And I pray that our legislation hears that um, because right now uh, it, it's a broken system and it's very dangerous. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm held responsible here. If we have things on our system here at a school, I'm responsible for, you know, for that. I can be held accountable. It is strange that, you know, we can just say, well, they can put anything up at any time and, you know, if that's not on us, why is that not on you? There are terms and conditions that exist, but when's the last time you uh, you read the terms and conditions on an app when you downloaded it? Oh, I read it very carefully every time. <laughs> I am lying right now. I absolutely do not. No, no we click the yes, I agree. You scroll down quickly, click yeah, yes, I, I agree, accept. and move on with our life. Right, which absolves them of all liability, but how is that okay? I agree. Um, I guess I, I'd like to close out a little bit with... Um, Sadly, you've probably talked to a lot of parents uh, in, in very difficult situations. Is there anything that uh, those parents have shared with you that they kind of wish other parents knew? You've touched on a little bit, but is there anything that sort of haunted you a little bit or uh, stayed with you in talking to a parent? Because I've, I've talked to, um, sadly, uh, parents after the loss of a student to suicide and I will never forget those conversations. They're deeply affecting every single word uh, and emotion in there. It's an unusual situation. Is there anything that's come up in your conversations that those parents wish other parents knew? I can say that in my experience that 
a lot of the parents we talk to are distraught that they didn't know this was going on. Yeah. Be involved. Talk to your kids. Be involved in part of their digital footprint. Know who they're communicating with and keep those lines of communications open. Explain that when you want access to their phones, it's not for a, a punitive reason, that you're there to protect them, to help them, to navigate the digital platforms. Uh, but you, know, you have to be a parent and you have to be informed, you have to be involved. And I think that's what I hear a lot of is, is just the shock that I can't believe this happened to my kid and I didn't know it was I had no on. idea. Yeah. Yeah, we don't hand them the keys of the car and say, figure it out. Right. We go through a lot with them. We sweat in the other seat. And, and unfortunately, we all live very busy lives. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to come home after working 10, 12 hours a day and sit down on the couch while your teenager's upstairs playing video games, allegedly, on their phone. Right. Um, I know we all need that downtime, but it's extremely important to remain present and remain involved. I think it's great advice, Garrick. Thank you both for what you do. I'm sorry that you have to do it, but I'm glad two guys as smart and dedicated as you are doing it. So thank you for doing the incredibly difficult work that uh, uh, others need you to do. I appreciate it very much. Can I, can I throw one thing in here? Of course. If, if a parent does find something or they their, their child does come to them um first thing a parent needs to do with their child is let them know that they're not they're they're the victim here as embarrassing as it is for them it's going to be hard for them to come to the parent and if the parent treats them as suspect you know they're they're not going to get the information they want so they mm -hmm. they need the child needs to know that they're a victim here what can the parent do after that well the first thing they need to do is call law enforcement the second thing they need to do is call the national center they need to get this information the national center for two reasons one they track it and two they kind of do the preliminary investigation for us um it's called NECMIC, the national center for missing exploited children um their phone number is 1-800-THE-LOST um you can go in there or you can go to the cyber tip the cyber tip line and they will both link you to the same place and there you can report online or you can call that number and for any child that has done this before and they find their picture that is out there, that is on the internet and they want to get it down, NECMEC is also the, the avenue to help you get that down. If you go to that same website, up on top, there's a, a header, it's called the issues. And then if you go under the issues, there's one that's called sextortion. And then, oh, like what is it? After sextortion, it's how we can help or okay. how I help yeah. you. And then you click on that and it's, a link to take you to how NECMEC will help you get those those images off the internet. And I would also share, I, thank you for sharing that. That's great uh, um, advice and resources for parents. And for parents listening too, if you have concerns about this and you're not quite sure how to handle it, your school can help. Your school counselor, our assistant principals, we can walk you through this because I have not seen it at your level, but we've seen the day-to-day -day stuff here on a regular basis of really poor decisions and we're parents and humans as well. So we can we can all, I think, work together as a, as a resource uh, to help you have those conversations and uh, help protect our kids. And uh, yeah, make sure as a parent, like I said, remain present and remain involved. Look for changes in behavior. Look for them isolating. Look for depression. Uh, and don't automatically assume that they're just having a tiff at school. That may be something that's going on on their digital world. Thank you both so much for your time and for what you do. Thank you Thank very you. much, Rob.
That's all for today's episode. I want to thank my guests for joining me today. If you found our conversation thought-provoking and want to know more, I hope you rate and subscribe in whatever app you use for podcasts. But more importantly, I hope you stay curious and keep asking what's best for kids.